Chapter forty three of the Pioneers by Catherine Susanna Pritchard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. The big kitchen was very quiet. The log that had been smouldering on the open hearth all day broke. Deirdre swept back the scattered embers and thrust the broken ends of wood together. Flames leapt over them, lighting the room. They penetrated the shadows that bulked, huge and shapeless, at the end of it, revealing a hoard of store casks and boxes piled almost to the roof and half-cloaked with hessian bags sewed together. The barrel of a rifle slung on the walls glimmered for a moment. The firelight showed stirrup irons and miscellaneous harnessing gear. Halters and bridles hung over a peg near the door, a couple of horseshoes nailed to it, and two or three hams in smoke-blackened bags with bunches of herbs beside them strung up to the rafters. A tallow dip cast a halo of garish light about Deirdre where she sat sewing. A broad gleam touched the crockery on the shelves behind her. The high-backed armchair in which Steve lay, slack and nodding drowsily, was drawn up before the fire. The door to the bar, reached by a step from the kitchen, was open. A dip burned on the bench there too, giving the dingy windows of the shanty a gleam for wayfarers. It was a wild night. The wind blowing from the southwest beat against the doors and rattled the windows of the frail building. The doors were all shut, though it was still early. Steve at last fell asleep in his chair. His heavy laboured breathing had the sound of a child sobbing. Deirdre looked up from her work again and again, troubled by it. It increased her sense of desperation to hear him. The sound became unendurable. She got up at last and wakened him. "'Hadn't you better go to bed, Uncle Steve?' she said impatiently. "'You'll catch your death of cold like this. "'It's too late for anybody to be coming our way now, and a bad night. "'I'll lock up.' "'Yes, Deirdre,' he murmured sleepily. "'It's a bad night, and too late for anybody to be coming our way.' She pulled the bolts across the doors at the front of the shanty and locked and bolted the door from the bar into the kitchen. Then she took his arm and helped him out of his chair. He had fallen back into it, nodding drowsily again. She led him over to his room, which opened off the kitchen. "'I'll see the lights and the fires are out,' she said. "'But I want to finish a bit of mending before I go to bed.' "'Right,' he murmured. "'Right, Deirdre.' The noise of the wind carried off the droning tones of his voice, but it was only a few moments before she heard his heavy breathing again. The schoolmaster's sock which she was darning dropped from her hand. She stared into the darkness beyond the dip-light. She did not want to go to bed, to be alone in the darkness with her thoughts. In the kitchen she heard the creaking gossip of the fire and the whisper of falling embers. Besides, she wanted to keep her hands and brain busy. In the darkness there would be only the voice of the wind in her ears, and that was like the crying of her heart. She listened to the wind now, a mournful, passionate thing, it murmured about the house, rising, wildly, desperately, in blasts of sudden rage, and fell back into a thin, pitiful wailing of helplessness and despair. She was afraid to listen long, afraid of what this communicating, interpreting murmur might do with her reason. Yet the wind was with her, she thought. The wind knew her heart. The wind was the voice of her heart crying out there in the darkness. She shivered, trying to banish the strange, fantastical ideas that swarmed upon her. How to pass the night, this long night in which she must not think or feel. Tomorrow McNab would be coming. You pays your money and you takes your choice, Deirdre, he had said. 
she saw his face as he had spoken his twisted sallow face the glimmering of his malicious eyes with the smile that spilled over from them she had made her choice she had set her mind to it there must be no wavering if the schoolmaster got off she must marry mcnab if he was sentenced to three years imprisonment there would perhaps be time to scheme and outmanoeuvre him she would set her wits to that but she could not think of the next day she must think of davy or dan or steve any of them there must be no shrinking shrieking or failing what had to be done had to be done and the first thing that had to be done was to give mcnab her word she picked up the sock she had been mending again the needle slipped backwards and forwards across under and over the dark threads she worked steadily the voice of the wind drew her mind again it tugged gently and then carried her away on its plaintive wailing her hands fell in her lap as she listened her heart swayed it went out to the wind again there was a clatter of horses hoofs on the road the sound startled her but it was not until she heard the dogs barking in the yard that she realized some late rider had come to steve's that there would be food and drink and probably a shakedown to get ready she waited for the sound of footsteps on the veranda and a rap on the door of the bar the back door flung open and on a gust of wind and rain a tall gaunt figure swung into the kitchen connell deirdre cried and flew to him in her gladness at seeing him the past was a blurred page she forgot it when she saw him in the doorway his weather-beaten face turned to her her confidence in him all the old joyous affection rushed over her his face was shining with rain his hair and beard wet from the way his breath came and went and the muscles were whipped out from his neck she knew that he had been riding hard they tell me davy and dan are on trial in melbourne he said yes what happened what's been doing deirdre he gasped i've only just heard of it it's taken me a couple of days to get here i don't know anything but what i've told you thought perhaps you could tell me something before i go up to them and give me something to eat and drink i haven't had anything since yesterday morning he wrenched off his wet coat and dropped into steve's chair he had a gauntness that connell used not to have but his eyes those eyes of fierce tenderness were the eyes of the big brotherly man who had been the companion of so many of her and the schoolmaster's wanderings she quickly put some food on the table for him set the kettle on the bar over the fire and while he was eating told him what she knew of davy's arrest and dan's going to swear davy's innocence of the charge brought against him why did he do that davy was more in it than he was connell asked savagely i don't know deirdre hesitated yes i do connell it was because mrs cameron oh that was it was it connell went on eating hungrily what do they say about here do they think davy'll get off and dan'll have to pay you've heard of mr cameron's death connell deirdre asked they say that'll make all the difference davy can't very well be accused of stealing his own cattle and mcnab what has he got to say about it of course it's his hand in it all he says i'm the cause her voice faltered what's that connell's knife and fork clattered to the table did you know she asked did you know connell stephen father came from the island over there he moved uneasily no he said but uncertainly who says so mcnab he did the chain trick here on steve scared him to death when he was by himself one afternoon seems he wasn't quite sure before 
but steve in his fright gave him all the proofs he wanted and mcnab's promised to use all he knows against father and steve unless says he only put the troopers on to this cattle business to get you and davy out of the way though he had another score to work off against mr cameron too but he says he always suspected about steve and father and was only waiting for a chance to be sure of it to make me make me marry him by god connell spun from his chair his oaths startled the birds from their night perches under the roof he'll not do that deirdre he cried not while there's life in me rot him the crawler to come here scaring the wits out of you i'll screw the last breath out of him before he made for the door deirdre went after him she put her hand on his arm you'll do no good now connell she said you're done yourself rest till morning then you can go to mcnab if he knows there's a man about to stand by me perhaps he won't dare do what he said connell jerked himself away from her no i'll swear he won't but you'll do nothing at all if you go now she urged and i'll have nobody without you if you'll only rest and sleep now and go in the morning it'll be better you'll be able to put the fear of god into mcnab perhaps if he sees you strong and ready to make him do what you want sleep he cursed under his breath do you think there's any sleep will come to me when i think that mcnab a filthy damned swine like mcnab could come near you i'd kill him kill him if he touched a hair of your head her hands fell from him connell's face was distorted with rage his words brought back memory of the shot that had almost killed davy connell guessed what her movement meant do you still believe he lifted her chin and looked into her eyes do you still believe i fired that shot in the dark deirdre did you connell she asked simply he turned from her with a gesture of disappointment oh it was in anger and when you weren't sure of what you were doing i know she cried he opened the door you're not going to-night she asked no you're right it'll be better to wait till the morning he said with for connell a strange quietude i want to give the mare a rub-down and a feed are there any bones for sally throw a shake down by the fire for me i'll be in directly End of chapter forty three